0: Hello and welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset. at Sam Bruce and Christy Doran. Bring you another week of rugby news and opinion and reviews from the weekend. Super Rugby Round 2 in the books, of course. And uh, a busy weekend in the Six Nations too, with a particularly eye-catching performance from France ahead of uh, the World Cup next year, beating the Scots up there in Murrayfield in, in Grand Style. And if you haven't seen that game, I suggest you go and uh, seek it out on Stan Sport. But we'll come to that in a little bit. Christy, day mate. How are you?
1: Yeah, I'm good. I'm wet. Um, just been caught in the in in one of those sudden downpours that everyone is copping at the moment. Fingers crossed those around the east and seaboard, particularly that you know upper New South Wales and lower Queensland area is okay because it's pretty tragic at the moment what's going on. But I'm good otherwise. Lots of lots of exciting things happening around the rugby world, and looking forward to diving into some of those.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Big shout out to everyone doing it tough up there and. Northern New South Wales and uh, Southeast Queensland. Um, yep, uh, we saw the pictures coming out of Ballymore yesterday, of course, with the Reds and how their their gym had been flooded. And we know that's the case for a lot of people's homes and businesses. So um, thinking of you all and and hoping uh, things improve up there sooner rather than later. Uh, Christy, round two. Um, of course, the cancelled uh, Moana Moana-Pacifica game, Chiefs game. Uh, a bit of a shame, but we're finally going to see them on Friday against the Crusaders. It's going to be a tough one first up, but. Let's go back to round two uh, at a very wet Leichhardt Oval where I was for the Reds and Waratahs. Um, despite the conditions, it was actually a pretty thrilling, gripping encounter. It had the feel of an old school Reds-Waratahs game about it. Um, and there was actually some really good patches of rugby played, probably more so from the Waratahs, who so just lacked that finishing punch. And, and speaking with um, with Darren Coleman, after the game uh, hearing him say yep we've uh, we're certainly trending in the right direction but we just haven't got this winning part of it down pat now they had all the ball and territory to win probably three games of rugby but just that little bit of extra experience from the reds got them over the line and it'll be the game the uh, the waratahs will be kicking themselves about though won't it
1: yeah absolutely um and a line out spent a bit of it in achilles heel for quite a while And you think about the one on the weekend just a bit soft. I think it was Jed Holloway towards the front wasn't able to get high enough, and uh, the ball was too low really. And 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 yeah, absolutely. That's the one that kick yourself because it's there for the taking. And we know that as soon as they start playing New Zealand opposition towards the the, the latter third of the comp, it's going to be very difficult to get any wins. So if you can if you can get four, five, six victories in the first. 10 rounds that's what you're really striving for um a little bit like what the the hurricanes uh and the blues experienced on the weekend when you're i think it was justin Marsh was that said that there was going to be a real log jam around positions six seven eight nine i think there absolutely is going to be so yeah uh, heartbreaking for a Waratahs perspective darren coleman I think, you know, people have gone, you know, let's just ease up on the Waratahs hype. And I don't think anyone's talking them up. I think what people are going and saying is at least they're competing. You know, defensively, they look like they're more structured. They're, they're, they're not, um, they're, they're, there's not sudden holes, gaping holes in their defence where they're completely short a particular side. Um, they're getting on the right side of the rocks. Um, one or two times where Ben Donaldson would be kicking himself, uh, I think there was a crossfield kick there at one oh, point, yeah. it was about 10 to go, where you probably put that through the hands. And that's just some maturity. But you know what? He'll learn from that experience and be a lot better. If they think about where they lost the game, it was probably inside the open 20 minutes where they had a lot of possession, wasn't, weren't able to convert some of those opportunities. Reds go to the other end really smart, clever kid from James O'Connor to Jordan Patire. I think they might have been playing advantage at the time and and, and they score, they go 10-nil up. So they're just the small one percenters that you start to look, to get when you're, you know, a fourth and fifth year down the down the road like the Reds are and not second and third year like a lot of the Waratahs. Yeah, incredible first half uh
0: defensive performance from the Reds. I think uh about 138 tackles to 35 at, at halftime and um, the Waratahs, time and time again, just got up to the line and just couldn't put the finishing touches uh, on the uh, on the tries that they, their possession really needed and deserved. Um, so full credit to the Reds for their defensive Sam, effort. And
1: t- Tell me, when you think about the Reds at the moment, you know, they're, they're obviously missing Taniela Tupac. Huge blow, biggest blow um, in the competition, just about to lose him. But when you lose Tate McDermott as well, he's going to be out for a month, it looks. Um, not ideal. To lose such a weapon there, because you look at the Reds at the moment, two and nine, two areas where it's so crucial to have experience and quality, and they really don't have much depth there now. Like the night, the Reds have got quite a few rising nines, but Tate McDermott is by far and best, by far and away the best. The question to you is, you know, they've lost Liam Liam Wright. Looks like maybe Angus Scott Young for a while too. But tell me. Fraser McWright, how on earth was he left out of the side in the first match? I know people look at trial form occasionally and they they swear by it. But Fraser McWright's one of the best sevens in Australia, probably the most complete seven. And he's been left on on the bench in that first match. That back row looked a lot more balanced, I thought, with
0: Fraser McWright there. Yeah, he was magnificent. Uh, he was uh, hitting rucks left, right, and centre, uh, getting on the ball a number of times, and just doesn't. He's got quite just a magnificent engine on him, doesn't he? He just doesn't stop, and um, it's confusing, Christy. I, I guess you know, in in one ways, in some ways, sorry for Brad Thorne, it's a, uh, a great position to be in to have that depth, and now that we've had these injuries, you know that shines through. But um, he's a guy that uh, you're right. He, he demands to start every week he's another of these um i guess these classic australian sevens that was we've seen from the start of you go back to david wilson and then george smith into phil war and pocock into hooper and hooper into mcgride if you like it they all kind of play in this this same mold where um you know while they've got subtle differences between them that um their ability to to get on the ball at rucks is is among the best in the world so look this is a big opportunity for fraser now you'd have to say to we saw it last year. He, we all thought he was putting some pressure on on Michael Hooper in Hooper's absence, of course, in Japan. And then Hooper came back and, and won the John Eales Medal and had barely missed a beat. So um, look, he's he's just got to keep banging the door down, doesn't he? Really, and and putting up um, numbers uh, each week. And uh, look, I fully expect him to do that because, as you say, he's a he's a wonderful player. He's a former under twenties captain, and and you don't take on that responsibility without clearly you know having. Um, a complete arsenal uh, of your rugby game. So, yeah, looking forward to seeing uh, Fraser develop and, and this extended run he'll probably get now with the Reds. Um, another young player. Let's you touched on in there Ben Donaldson and the, and the cross kick um, that stood out like the proverbial dog's balls um, in that match. Given that the Waratahs had probably seven or eight man attacking line beautifully spread, the alignment was perfect at the time, and and the Reds defence was was backtracking now. I put the question to Darren Coleman at the post-match presser. Was that as tough as it was for Ben? And he had a couple of nice moments in there as well. Um, but was that the ideal kind of um, game he needs to really develop? A, you know, the, to go through an experience like that in the in the wet and the wind, and um, you know, a, a red sport pack that was constantly up trying to hunt him down. And um, is that what he needs to develop? And and, and Darren certainly agreed with that. Um, but it segues nicely into uh, the Force and Rebels, Christy. And of course, the big talking point coming out of that game was young Rajan Pazitoa and, and uh, of course, Wallaby's great. Tim Horan giving him the rap of all rap saying to, to put him in the Wallaby squad this year. Now, I don't think Timmy was saying, put him in at number 10, let's start yeah. him against England by any stretch of the imagination. That wasn't his intention. but to get him uh, in and amongst the environment, um, like development players have been in the past, to get him around the guys. And we saw it you know, in that extended squad there a couple of years ago. Will Harrison was a part of that squad. And of course, never saw any game time. But just to expose these guys to, to test rugby, you know, that kind of sent social media, Timmy's comments, uh, into a spin. Um, it was certainly an accomplished performance from Rajan against the Rebels. Wasn't like two games. Is, is, is what's, what's your feeling on this whole scenario? Is this, I know it's um, you know, that's the stand sport. Um, they've got to drive the game and, and drive interest around it. But on the flip side, are we putting too much pressure on these on these young tens, as we saw with Ben Donaldson the other night? And they need to have these hard lessons along the way as well.
1: Yeah, I, I don't, it, it kind of drives me a little bit crazy the amount of people that talk about oh, pressure and Why do we continually do this, et cetera, et cetera? Michael Checker used to do it a little bit. He would bring in young players. They weren't always 10s. They weren't always 9s. Um, Marcus Smith was brought into an England squad as a teenager. He didn't see any game time, but a couple of years later, he's brought back in. He's been told this is what he needs to work on. He's had a taste. He comes back in. He drives the Harlequins to an unbelievable English Premiership victory, and now he's driving England forward. Players need to be, you need to work out what the maturity of a player is. I was speaking to Andrew Slack before the season started, just a couple of days before the season started. You know, Michael Liner was 20. Um, Andrew Slack was talking about maturity and goes, you know, there's a difference between uh, someone like a Quade Cooper and a James O'Connor who were 18, 19 when they're coming into these squads who are, let's face it, weren't mature players at the time. Very very skillful, but would they be able: Well, Christy, I'm not only mature players, I don't think they are mature men. No, yeah, so how do they deal with expectation um, when they have a good game, when they have a poor game, the highs and lows, how do they manage themselves? and to be frankly honest, he said, look, you, 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 know, you don't have to look too far to work out where they were on that, on that level, but you, you need to like some other players in. And he did mention Tom Tom Liner um, thought he had a very accomplished, impressive half of rugby in that in that trial match. But, you know, you look at someone like a Pasitoa or Ben Donaldson, we've spoken to him a number of times. He seems like a mature person with a, with a really sound head on his shoulders. I, I don't think there's any danger whatsoever in bringing someone like that into a Wallabies camp. And those that think there are, Really don't know the person. Um, you've got to know the person and measure it up alongside the skill to be able to determine whether or not sh- someone should, should be invited into such a camp. I think Rajan had an accomplished game, um, showed some really good touches, ran to the line, but do I think he's the starting 10 for the Wallabies? Absolutely not. But he is a 20-year-old who drove Australia schoolboys to a win over New Zealand, has been around the Brumbies set up for a couple of years where he experienced very little game time but some touches and some, some minutes. Oh, I thought it's a reasonable shout from Tim Horner. I think you know, that third 10 position at the moment is really up for grabs. And you know what? I don't think you take Quade Cooper and James O'Connor to, you know, in your starting 23 necessarily at the moment. You'd have one. I don't know if you have the second. And in two years' time or in 18 months when the World Cup is, you're probably thinking about who is that that young 10 that comes into the squad as well. Let's talk a little bit more
0: now about the force. Um, commanding win over the Rebels. Uh, and, and nice to see an actual little bit of development in their game um, the first half was a bit of a grind but you could always tell that the the force were in control um isaac Rarotta had a, had a massive game before he came off uh fergus lee warner very good again um yeah, back really um stood up um and they've got you know the backs they're not a bunch of, of world beaters by any stretch of the imagination but um you know, uh, they just get the job done and uh, they've got a big test coming this week against the Reds, clearly a massive step up from the Rebels who look well off the pace at this point in the year. Um, fiennes O'wasa coming off the bench, just adds that little bit of energy on the game. And I was sitting there watching that, um, the finish there, and I know it's a, we, we always talk about, it. it's hard to actually judge guys coming off the bench when players are tired and their ability to impact games and how much do you read into that. But um, just the extra speed I, I thought he put on the game, it might be valuable going forward. I know Ian Pryor is is very much the, the heart and soul of that that club, um, basically since they uh, they were out of kicked out of Super Rugby and, and have come back in. And he's the goal kicker and everything. But geez, I'd be tempted to start Leo Owaisa there with uh, Rijan Pasatoa or certainly give him a little bit more time uh, in the second half of games because uh, I just love the uh, the speed and energy he put in uh, at the finish there against the Rebels.
1: I love this guy. I think he's a great player. I think it's exactly what the force needs. Someone who's playing off the cuff. There's not too much structure about him. Um, he's exactly what the Western force need, I think. Um, I was talking to Dan McKellar a lot about him over the last year, and I was a bit disappointed that he didn't play more under McKellar. Um, you know, that's what happens when you've got two or two nines that have been pretty impressive than Nick White and Ryan Lonegan. Um, but the fact that he was playing on the wing at times, I really enjoyed. This guy is so quick over 20 metres. He's powerful. He's strong. Um, He's not as young as you think he is. He's in his mid-20s, I think. Um, He's he's a real talent. And and those sorts of players have X factor about them. We saw that on the weekend with the last try that that Ralston scores. Um, He needs to be playing 30 minutes at least. I, I wouldn't necessarily start him just yet because he hasn't played enough in the nine jersey. But he needs more and more minutes because... He's someone who creates things, makes things happen. Um, he's always looking, he's always sniping. There's a little bit of Tate McDermott about him, um, but, it, but it shows the, the and I wrote about this on Sunday into Monday, the, the recruitment, the smarter recruitment the force have got up now. Um, they're not going for the, you know, necessarily the, once upon a time they were, they were signing Matt Guido's and Drew Mitchell's on, on, on ridiculous sums of money, but, you know, that's not sustainable. And now they're, they're not just getting old journeymen um, who, are, who are past their prime. They've got some youngsters and and Pasitoa is one of them. Um, Isaac is another. Uh, they've got a little bit of backup there with Quinzel too. Ancy was quality. I think Tony Pulu is, is one of the, the real picks and finds. Well, he's not a find. He's been around for a long while now, but he's a guy that Matt Ellie as well from the Crusaders. They beat the first tackle, which is what the force needed. I, I, I'm really impressed with him, and I'll, I'll go out and limb. I think I might knock over the Reds this weekend. Um, you know, at home they beat them last week. Uh, sorry, last year, and they're they're a side that are showing some good progress, which is really pleasing to see. Absolutely, yeah. Coming home for a, a long-awaited
0: return. Of course, they've been on the road to, to start the year, and uh, with the uh, West Australian border opening up, um, sadly, I think that uh, the COVID is really starting to, to rip in over there. So the crowd might not be as big as um, probably the. Uh, the club would have hoped, but um, certainly, uh, yeah, they're gonna have some, some catch up home games, no doubt, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing that sea of blue because they are a very committed fan base and um, yes. deserve to see their, their team and playing well. Um, so, yeah, get along to that one if you can. Now, before we leave the weekend's rounds um, we'll just touch quickly, Christy, on the, on the Brumbies uh, and Fiji and Drew, of course, easy win for the Brumbies as expected. Um, probably could have scored a couple more tries at times. Um, just got lost a little bit in the final twenty. Um, but an eye-catching debut, or sorry, not debut, second game from uh, Billy Potter Pollard off the bench. Um, played the, in, in the entire second half. Had one uh, huge run down that left touchline. Also got on the ball the breakdown. Um, of course, you want to see set feeds uh, proficiency as well, because that's what we expect from uh, from hookers and uh, the front row, in general, um, but my goodness, can't the Brumbies find a find a hooker?
1: Yeah, yeah, and a back row. To be fair, in nine, you know, this is just really sound management from Dan McKellar because, oh, you know, it's easier when you've got a really quality list and and squad and depth. But you think about all the other we saw the Waratahs; they they played their strongest side against the the draw, didn't they? Like they didn't rest one play. They didn't start one of their stronger players on the bench, or indeed. Rest them. Um, the Brumbies had that luxury. You look at Lockie Lonigan starting at two, um, Ryan Lonigan starting at nine. Um, you know Nick Frost and Darcy Swain. I know that Nick Frost is is leaving. We'll touch upon that. But if he wasn't, that's great development, great minutes for these guys, and and more of the Super Rugby coaches need that because that's how you build a squad. Um, injuries happen, and and fortunately, it's probably only the Brumbies that can really deal with that at the moment. Um, uh, yeah, some some promising players coming through. Billy Pollard definitely one of them. Like that that run, it kind of reminds you of that run that he made in the in the in the schoolboys oh, side when yeah. he belongs, side Pasatow. He didn't quite get to the line, but fell a meter short. Um, look it up on YouTube if you haven't seen it. But um, you know, people talk and and were raving about Tom Banks and and the, and the pace that he showed there. Look, he should be doing that. You know they. they the the drawer have been together for about five minutes. Um they're probably not quite got that match fitness and skill to go 80 minutes. That that is the minimum that you're wanting to see from a Tom Banks. The, the the more impressive moment for me still comes back a week earlier when he when he helps create that final try. But beating a player on the outside, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not raving about it too much just at the moment because you need more and more. And 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 Australian rugby needs to demand more from Tom Banks in those sorts of situations. But good win um it sets it up nicely going forward that they take on the work task this weekend and you, you start to think a couple of weeks into it they're starting to hum a bit more um I, I'm, I'm i'm really interested to see those two games between the the brumbies and the tars and the reds and the Force. Like, there's a there's a lot here there's a bit at stake um and and those sides like the tars and force they needed the front up because if they can somehow just manage to to sneak a win here it really sets up their seasons.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You don't want to be in a situation where you're scrapping for that that eighth position. And as you said earlier, there's probably going to be a handful of teams who are going to be doing that um, later in the season. Uh, Christy, across the ditch, um, Crusaders ran down the Highlanders. Um, I think we probably all expected that. Highlanders made a pretty strong start, but um, the class and uh, and just elite skill levels of the Crusaders shone through late. Um, but an early nomination, you have to say, for, for Game of the Season between um, the Blues and Hurricanes, uh, just a brilliant 80 minutes and, of course, a, a classic finish with uh, Balen uh, Sullivan cutting through and palming off the man of the weekend, uh, Roger Tuavasa shek uh, He was on everyone's lips and, and certainly interested to see how he went first up. Um, but the most impressive part of that try for me was Balen Sullivan's ball at full tilt um, hitting Artie Sevier on the chest. I saw it again yesterday and tweeted about it. And just the execution, uh, that crispness of of skill, um, which we have come to expect from New Zealand teams. But this is a guy who's has just kind of been coming to Super Rugby this year, cut his teeth in, uh, in what was a limited Mitre 10 Cup last year and um, throws a ball like that without... Uh, leaving Artie Sevilla not having to break stride at all hits him on the chest and and that makes that try for Artie Sevilla if that ball is slightly behind him or slightly out in front he doesn't finish that the way that he did stepping back on the inside for me I just thought that was a fantastic bit of skill.
1: Yeah pretty pretty extraordinary um, the game what two tries in the last three minutes or so and yeah like Sevilla still had work to do he cuts inside and beats two defenders and, and I know that we all talk about the missed tackle that RTS made, which was uh, obviously pivotal in the, in the game, but, you know, Sevilla still has to do a lot of work and there's other guys that miss tackles in those situations. Um, yeah, it, it shows what's to come for the Australian sides. It shows the skill level, the pace that they play at. But I, I keep, keep coming back to it. Australia does not need to try to match New Zealand terms and the pace that they play with. You know it's ferocious it's relentless but Australia can't go toe for toe no. in those situations um they need to pick their moments they need to play at pace at times and they need to control the game in others and that's where the nine is so important for Australian rugby at the moment that's why Nick White is quite often the man that starts in front of McDermott because McDermott's really got one pace White's got two three can control the game um uh, RTS is a really interesting one. Like, yes, he it wasn't perfect. He had a really good open 20 minutes. His opening 20 minutes is superb. After that, it it, it falls away. But you know, when you've got a, a home world, I know that he's targeting the World Cup in 2023, but the 2027 World Cup is going to really interest a lot of players on both Australian perspective and New Zealand perspective. And, and I think if he does well, he makes the national side for the All Blacks, I reckon it could have a flow-on triple effect. You might see people like Kalen Ponga, whether or not he plays for the Wallabies. Who cares? If he plays the All Blacks, it'll get people interested in both codes. You know, Both the NRL and Rugby Union will be really interested to see how a Kalen Ponga would go. And and, and similarly, I think there would be players that would be interested in going and trying to play for the Wallabies too. We saw it in 2003 with Sailor Rogers, Takiri, I think something like this, a home World Cup, can have the same effect and and really generate interest and headlines, and that's so important.
0: Well, I mean, let's let's nominate one. Let's say Angus Crichton, Christie. He's a guy who. No,
1: it's, it's not it's not an Angus Crichton. You don't care about the Angus Crichtons at the moment, I don't think. So, so you want to go out and pick off a just a straight league player? It, you, Give me it, a name
0: then. Give me a couple it, of names.
1: Good, well, be. I had a discussion with Will Guiney. I think it was in January. Um, it might have been December around. Who would a couple of the players that you would get? And, you know, someone like a, uh, you know, we know Pappenhausen's played a bit. Um, he's young enough. He's still really young. Uh, you know, some he Gennie thought the Fox would be extraordinary on the wing. Someone with that sheer pace. Um, this, him, is, this is, where, hey, this is, this is where I d-
0: disagree completely with you, mate. You're not going to go and pay a
1: million bucks to no, get the Foxes. you're boxes. not you're not paying 000, 000 for, for no. a million dollars for a winner like that, and I, I think someone like a turbo or someone who is extraordinary under the high would be would be perfect. I, I, I would be going someone like him. I think a Pappenhausen could be great because he could play both fullback, wing, and potentially step up into a playmaker role at times. Th- there are a few of the players that I'd be really interested in, and I think there's quite a few of them. It's not just it's not just one or two of them. But I think as someone like a, a Crichton or a Murray, yeah, they could do a job and they probably, probably could do a job in the, in, the, in the midfield. But, look, they're starting to get to that age where... Injuries you know, come into it, yeah. Injuries come into it. I, I think you want someone fractionally younger. And, and, yeah, obviously, Turbo has so many injuries all the time and time again. But someone like that who has the Freddie Stewart ability in the air would be, you know... Uh, such an asset in the game at the moment. We're, we're seeing how effective he was in the weekend against Wales. He was, he was superb, and, and we've we've seen Israel Folau. Obviously, you know he he couldn't kick the ball. He spent a couple of years playing AFL, still couldn't kick the ball, but he was incredible. And that shows what a, a rugby league player and skill set can do.
0: And I guess we'll all you know hoping to see more of Siliasi Vanua this year. Of course, had limited time. Last year, just couldn't really shake off uh, hamstring injuries for much of the season. So hopefully he gets back on the, the field uh, soon for the Reds and we uh, we see a little bit more of him as well. Uh, Christy, let's move on to the uh, Giddo Law, which is now known as the Overseas Player Selection Policy, the OPSP, very close to OPSM. But, um an acronym we're probably going to have to get used to. Uh, sorry, Gitz, uh, your time in the sun is, is over, mate, but we know you're enjoying yourself over there in California. Uh, you saw him uh, enter the Giltini's first home game. He wasn't playing, but he rode in on a bike with uh, the biggest sunglasses you've ever seen and, uh, and a flag. So, yeah, uh, he's uh, he's very much living the uh, the Hollywood life, I think, over there, uh, kid dynamite. Um, but, yeah, let's talk about the the new policy, uh, the updated policy, let's call it, Um so three players allowed per series or tournament um, must have played either 30 tests for the Wallabies or done five years service to Australian rugby. I think on the whole, this is exactly where we thought this was this would land. And particularly after the, I guess, the debacle that finished on, uh, on the spring tour last year with players pulling out, limiting it to three per tournament or series. Um, feels about right as well. But um, is this just Did a stopgap? gap? I think I like it for the time being. I'm not convinced that, um, you know, it's going to be something that uh, doesn't have to be updated again and potentially the post-2027 World Cup. I think you'll see, you know, a huge exodus of players after that. And, and we know that happens anyway with World Cups. Um, but uh, there's going to be a real change over there. So, look, it feels about right for now. I think it gives Dave Rennie the ability to, to outline or to to choose three key areas where he thinks he's, his squad's lacking. Um, and uh, let's talk about it then for for England, Christy. You're probably going to say that Samu Karevi's a lock. Um, Quade Cooper is certainly going to be very close to being a lock. Um, and then you've got one to, to choose from perhaps, Marika Korobedi or Rory
1: Arnold. Um, is that how you say it? Yeah, that, that's how I say it. If there, was two, if there was another injury or two to the, hooker situation i think you can see a a latu or a bpa brendan pang or mosa um come back into the mix and that otherwise yeah i think it's those four that that you really look at i know that people are screaming for marika and quade and samu I still think, you know, it's great news that Isaac Rodder um, announced on Tuesday to re-sign to 2024. It's really important um, to have him. He's going yeah. from strength to strength as he gets older. You know, he was never going to be the best lock in the world at 22, was he? But, you know, a couple of years on, he's starting to really develop his game, get over the game line and do those things that good locks do. that um, yeah, I think I think three is probably right. It's really the last chance, isn't it? Because uh, you know we we know that with the Lions and the World Cup, they want to bring their best talent back. They're trying to make a deterrent by going back or going overseas, uh, leaving for riches. The States wanted that. If it doesn't work, they're going to have to blow it all open, and you'll pick it. You'll pick from anywhere. But this is the last chance. As for those three, yeah, I think. Um, I would still like to see Rory Arnold in, in the squad because I think he adds a lot. Um, I think he needs strength in the second row. Um, we know that in the uh, the, the spring tour, often they, they would bring him off with half an hour to go to give Will Skelton some minutes so he wasn't playing 80 minutes. I think you'll see him play 80 minutes if he was to be playing down here because there's no Will Skelton to bring off the bench. But, you know, probably Quade Cooper, yeah, if he's fit and firing, you, you do have to see him, how he goes against the Northern Hemisphere opposition. It's different to the South. And, and Karevi is a must. He's the first player that you do everything you can to bring him back. We know Marika Korobedi. he's got some brilliance to his game. Um, he, he, he's brilliant in defence uh, and, and he will finish off tries as well as most Oh, I still think that there's some really good, strong wingers. And if you're going, if is back and he's fit, you know, you might go him. Um, and if he's played half a dozen matches, he'll be good. He'll be fine. Great in the air. I don't think you'd necessarily play the two of them together. But if, if he's fit and firing, you go him and you go a really silky, smooth, someone like a like a Tom Wright or a Pata or whoever it might be on the other wing, there's some options there. So I, I think wing's a position of, of relative strength yeah, in the Australian you Absolutely,
0: and then that, uh, as you say, probably pushes it back in Rory's favour. And we know um, that, that Dave is a massive fan of his and uh, clearly going to, you know, if you're going to be paid one and a half million dollars to play in Japan per season, then um, you're clearly uh, worth uh, your weight in uh, in yen anyway. Um, so, uh, yeah, one to follow there. Uh, just, we mentioned, obviously, Rory's move, um, a couple of uh, other exits from Australian rugby last week. Nick Frost is disappointing because I think he's a guy that, um would have really uh, come on in the next few years, but every chance he could come back for 2027. He's only a young guy. Um, perhaps this time away gives him a, a bit of perspective, and um, you know, there's not a lost cause there. But Salakai-Loto, you'd probably have to think that um, you know this is uh, this is a move for him that will see him stay overseas for for quite some time off to to Northampton. Um, another guy probably hasn't quite fulfilled his potential at, at test level. Um, has played a couple of really good games and um, obviously was used between six and and in the second row by by Michael Checker. Um, but that stings a bit as well, doesn't
1: it? Yeah, it does. I know that the Reds were filthy. Um, they wanted... They, 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 he was a guy that was coming up to that mark where he might have spent, I think, seven years or so in Australian rugby. So he was eligible, uh, if he had stayed on, to get a sabbatical. Um, that's where Australian rugby needs to be really smart, really proactive. Those that are thinking of going overseas, or have played that amount of time in Aussie rugby, you know, they, they need to be doing everything they can. That they they take them up to Japan or wherever for a year or two. They can get, they can make some bank and then come back because it's the middle tier players that you really need to look after. You, it's not so much the top tier. It's not so much the bottom. Um, players will develop, but those that have played five, six, seven, eight years—they are so paramount to the success or sustained success of a Super Rugby club. And, and yeah, I think it does sting. I don't think he's in the top three locks of Australia, but he's going to go over and he's going to partner Courtney Laws, the, the current England captain. You know, he's going to learn a bit. Yeah, he runs too high at times, but don't they all? Muratosa does as well at times. Um, uh, he yeah, he he's 25. He's only been playing. Rugby for six, seven, eight years. These guys get better when, you know, get, they get to their late 20s. And that's the thing that stings. Nick Frost, oh, I can't really see him coming back because he's going to price himself out of the market in the same way that Harry Hawkins, who could have been a really incredible wallby, I think. If they will have to come back on, on, on figures which are half what they're earning overseas. You know, in the case of Hawkins, he's he's earned on a lot of money at Santori to come back. He wouldn't get given a Rugby Australia contract or top up at the moment because he hasn't done anything in Australian rugby. Um, that's the matter of it. And that's the that's the unfortunate reality Australian rugby is confronting at the moment. So those hoping Nick Frost comes back, I can't see it because you'll have to come down on half the wicket that he's on at the moment to ever return. That, that's the reality that it. it's unfortunate. And, and, and it's where Australian rugby Unfortunately where it is geographically in the world, it, it doesn't help itself at at, at at all. And there's clearly a recurring theme here, Christy. It's locks, isn't it? Let's let's
0: look. Let's yeah. Will Skelton, Rory Arnold, uh, you've mentioned Harry Hawk Hock and Hawkins, now Salakai Loto and Nick Coleman and, and Rodder and Philip went away. So yeah. look, yeah, that's um, you know, maybe there's something that needs to be are we are we undervaluing locks in this country from a uh, monetary perspective, you know? Well, Paul Kelly wrote
1: and touched on it the other other earlier in the week in a, in a really good column um and, and I know that Ian Pryor touched upon it last year in a conversation about Ireland and, and you know having tax incentives are going to be really important I, I really wonder whether or not you know people go well oh, why the heck with rugby and you know, why would that matter for rugby well and, and not the other sports well Rugby's the international game here. Like, cricketers still want to play for Australia. They go to the IPL. You know, they, that only goes for four or five weeks. is week. yeah. um, the only sport, really, where Australia is losing its players. Um, I, I wonder whether or not tax incentives can be made because that's really one of the only ways that players are going to be able to, to, to stay here and compete because otherwise you're just going to see this happen more and more and more.
0: Yeah, if you haven't read uh, Paul's piece, really interesting and uh, probably not something a lot of Australian rugby fans know that the tax incentives that exist in, in Ireland and how they are able to, to keep uh, so many of their players in those, those four teams and, uh, and that in turn, as, as Ben Darwin will tell you, uh, feeds into uh, continued success or certainly continued um, you know uh, stability within that, uh, that national squad of theirs. Uh, all right, Christy, let's wrap it up with some Six Nations. Uh, of course, we mentioned it earlier, uh, France beating uh, Scotland at Murrayfield, uh, England getting the job done over a resurgent Wales, really coming home with a wet sail at Twickenham and uh, and poor old Italy just uh, a couple of weeks after copying a flogging uh, in, uh, in the media, suggesting that their days of the Six Nations were up, um, get down to get that reduced down to 13 men because of a, a little known law, which I must admit um, I probably had heard of, but had forgotten completely about that exists in terms of um, Front row replacements and guys being sent off and, and moving down to uncontested scrums. Uh, they finished with 12 men on the field and uh, an absolute hiding from, from Ireland. So just bad to worse for, for poor old Italy. But let's go to Murrayfield. Um, great game of rugby to watch if you haven't. Um, go and take a look at it. Uh, France just brilliant all over the paddock. Um, just they, They've got world-class players, as we've spoken about, in the key positions at two in the second row at lock sorry, at number eight, um, the world-class nine uh, Antoine Dupont, who I must admit, I probably didn't buy into the world's best scrum half when it was being talked about ahead of Aaron Smith, um, let's call it 18 months ago, even two years ago. But watching him um, this tournament, particularly on the weekend, he does stuff that Aaron Smith can't do. Now, that's saying something, you know, it's a pretty big call considering how how well, you know, Aaron Smith has played at the Tesla all over a sustained period of time. But... Um, he certainly can't bring the ball back counter-attack like Antoine DuPont did at the weekend and open up a team and bump off players as if he's a, a ball-running back rower. And and just the wave of attack that followed on after that where, where Fiku settled in to, to play nine while DuPont was still getting up and the forwards who were just lining up and Fiku just picking them off uh, and uh, leading to that try to um, either Aldri or maybe Paul Willemser. I think um, they've, uh, they're have they a classy outfit, aren't they?
1: And, and really, I think, yeah, you're right. Uh, DuPont is the complete nine at the moment. I, I agree. I didn't necessarily buy into, Oh, it's not that I didn't buy into it, but I thought Aaron Smith was still the best nine. He proved it for such a sustained period of time that, you know, six, 12 months, a hot six, 12 months, we know we've seen Connor Murray do it, um, but I still thought if you're having a nine play for your life, you're tick- picking Aaron Smith. I think that's changed now. I think DuPont is a complete nine. The running game, he's got his incredible, still a quality pass and he's standing up against world-class opposition and he's been doing it for two loose. But um, it's just the depth that they've got, you know, the relentless depth that we saw Dante down here in last July. He's so powerful at 12. They've got skill and pace out wide. They've got quality goal kickers and um, they are really proving to be one of the they, they, i think they are the favorites for the world cup uh at the moment i think there's going to be a real wave of support behind them it's going to be fantastic for rugby um they're playing that 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 attacking flair um fabian garty the coach has got them firing on all cylinders they, they need to go though and kick on and win this tournament and because that will seal what everyone is thinking, and it will allow them, it will be a real spring forward for them to kick on to another Six Nations next year into a World Cup. Um, Success drives further success, I think, and I'm excited. And I think it's great that Australian rugby is going to be able to play France before the World Cup on the eve of it. Um, Yes, there's always the danger of injuries, but the, the, the... It will be the perfect hit out for an Australian side to have gone up and experienced what a a European nation can bring um, after playing, you know, the three-four sides in the in the Rugby Championship. That's going to be great for the Wallabies next year. But really exciting to see, and and you know, even in the England game, the Wales game after slightly different, um, really stop-start affair in the first forty minutes, but that second forty minutes was really high class um quality international rugby it's 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 heating up the six nations but what it shows as well is just how even the competition is in world rugby so it's just great science
0: yeah absolutely uh france uh uh games to come against uh wales uh in a fortnight's time on the friday which will be a test for them because as, as i mentioned wales came home with a really Wet sail against England at Twickenham, and then at home uh, to England, which uh, which looms potentially as the uh, the tournament decider. So, uh, Stade de France will be rocking for that one, no doubt. Um, Chrissy will would have liked to go a little bit deeper into the Six Nations, but I've got uh, renovations coming on here, so we better uh, shut it down. and And hopefully, we'll get Tom Hamilton. Tom Hamilton, sorry. Uh, ESPN's uh, senior writer in in London to come on board and give us a full wrap maybe at the end of the tournament so uh, tune in for that one Uh, mate thanks again very much for your time Uh, enjoy the rugby this weekend and uh, we'll talk again soon